in this series, we've been walking through Matthew chapter 13. So go ahead, get your notes out. Turn your Bibles to Matthew chapter 13. Uh, the, I'm going to kind of give you context as I get into, this, uh, into, the, into the message. Uh, so some of you, you'll, you'll catch up here in a minute. So you guys ready? Here we go. You guys ready? Okay. Yeah, there's, all right. All right, to throw that up there, Matthew chapter 13. Here's what I'm going to do. Let me, get, let me give you my outline uh, so you can just go with me as we go. So the first thing, when you're studying the Scripture, the most important thing when you're studying Scripture is what? See, those people have been coming to church here for a couple weeks. Second most important thing is what? And third, now that everybody knows that what it is, I'm going to go with context. context. There it is. Good job. Good job. Okay, so I'm going to give you context, and then we're going to jump into whenever you hear a story, there's a couple questions you need to ask. The first question is, what am I being confronted with? The second question is, what am I being invited into? And the third question is, how do I live this out? So we're going to put context, then we're going to ask those questions, and we're going to find out what's happening here. So Matthew chapter 13, verse 44, Jesus is telling yet another story. In Matthew chapter 13, he says, The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of pearls, of fine pearls, who, on finding one pearl of great value, went and sold all that he had and bought it. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a net that was thrown into the sea and gathered fish of every kind. When it was full, men drew it ashore and sat down and sorted the good into containers, but threw away the bad. So it will be at the end of the age. The angels will come out and separate the evil from the righteous and throw them into the fiery furnace. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. That, that word, I, I don't, like, that's one of those, like, scary words. Like, what is gnashing? <laughs> gnashing. Uh, I, I don't know. That's, for me, that's just, I immediately go to, this is a scary thing for me, uh, gnashing. Uh, do you understand all these things? Sorry. If you are, uh, I am, if you are a guest or first-time visitor, yes, I am the pastor of this church, and yes, that's as good as it gets, okay? So, uh, do, do you understand all these things? yes. They said, we do. Now, that's going to be important. We're going to come back to that in a minute. Then he added, every teacher of religious law who becomes a disciple in the kingdom of heaven is like a homeowner who brings from his storeroom new gems of truth as well as old. Now, so many of you have been here through the series, and you know exactly where we're at. Let me go help those that aren't the catch up. So Matthew has this theme throughout called the kingdom of of heaven. And we'll talk about that more in just a second. So it's all out. And, and you get the Matthew chapter 13, which is in the, right in the middle of the book. It's halfway. You get to this where he, Jesus begins to tell stories, and they all have a common theme, the kingdom of heaven. So we are now, so we've been walking through these parables. He tells the parable of the, of the sower, which is better known as the parable of the soil. Uh, you can go back and listen to our podcast on, on, the, on our app. Uh, if you want to grab that and un- get, get, dig into that a little bit more, then he talks about the wheat and the tares, and he talks about these. So he's been walking through these stories that Jesus is telling with this common theme, and then we get to these three. Now, Matthew is one of four biographies of Jesus in the New Testament. So there's Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Those are the four biographies of Jesus. 
The first three, we call them, the fancy name is synoptic. They're the synoptic gospels. So Matthew, Mark, and Luke are called synoptic gospels, meaning they all have a similar story. They all follow the, kind of the same flow. Like if you read one and then you read the next one, it's like, wait, didn't I already read that? You're, yeah, you kind of did. So, and then John is kind of by himself, he's about 90% new information. So if, you, if you're beginning to write the, read the Bible, say if you're, uh, if you're just in the beginning of this journey, I would highly recommend that you begin your journey by going to John. John is a good book to read by getting a new uh, picture of Jesus. So read John uh, and then read the other Gospels. And so, uh, so John stands alone. And then Matthew, Mark, and Luke have a lot of the similarities, similar stories. So, so far, in the stories that we've been uh, looking at, Jesus telling, they're in all the other Gospels. They've been all. These three are not. So everything we're reading today, you will not find in any other gospel. So Matthew is really wanting to emphasize something here. And you'll notice I've taken like three stories. And so far, uh, we've looked at one at a time. And last week, we looked at two because there are twin parables. But today, we're looking at three in almost a fourth edition. And are they, the question is, are they connected? And the answer is, yes. Matthew makes it very clear that these are connected. He begins by telling the first story that the, of the, the treasure that's hidden in the field and then he begins the second story by making sure that he begins it with, again, connecting it to the first one. So there it is. It's connected to the first one. The, the third, uh, so then he goes through that one about the pearls, uh, the, the one great pearl that's found. And then the, second, the third one he begins with, again, connecting it, again, to this line of, uh, of a story that, that he's trying to teach us. The final one, he asks, so in between, he asks the question, do you understand all these things? And he sa they say, yes, they do. Then he added, so Matthew again is connecting, every teacher of, of religious law is connected to it. And even uh, some translations put there, therefore. And if there's ever a therefore, you need to ask, what's it there for? Connects it to whatever is before it. So we can see really clearly that this is all one continuous thought that, that, that Matthew is bringing together for us. So he begins with this story. So well, as we're looking at these, I want to walk through each one, give you context for each one, and then bring it all back together because we're being confronted by something. So the first one, we go here, the kingdom of heaven. Let me, let me real quick, for those of you that haven't been here for the last uh, few weeks, the kingdom of heaven is something that most of us in Christianity have a bad image of. We think the kingdom of heaven is something that is to come in the future. So we're here on this earth, the earth is going to end, and then it's going to come new. Now this isn't, it's not bad that you have this idea, it's not wrong that this has been taught, it's just, well, yeah, it's wrong because it's not Jesus' idea, but it's not new. You're not making a mistake that's new to you. Uh, the Jews had this same concept. That's why they struggled with seeing Jesus as the Messiah, because they thought that there was going to be the nation of, uh, that they had was going to be destroyed. The Romans would be destroyed, and they would have a new earthly kingdom. We have this idea. We've kind of taken that and said, now we, we're going to say we have an earth, and that's going to go away, and we're going to have a new earth. But that's not what Jesus teaches Jesus says the kingdom of heaven is here. In Matthew chapter 6, the, the disciples come to say, Jesus, how should we pray? And Jesus teaches them, 
pray this way. Our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So his, his, what he's, Jesus has said is, hey, the kingdom is not something that's coming way in the future. It's coming now. Now, the full restoration of what has taken place. So you begin in Genesis chapter 1, everything is perfect. God created it that way. Man messed it up. You get all the way to the end of Gen- uh, Revelation, and you see that everything that was in the first is restored. Shalom. That's what the word that we, the Bible uses, shalom. Everything that God meant for there to be is restored. So we're in between all this, right? So it's not fully come, but it's here. Jesus has introduced the kingdom of heaven. The visual I love is from the Bible project is this vision that, or this uh, visual of the old creation being overcome by the new creation. So step by step, generation by generation, fulfillment by fulfillment, the old creation is being overcome by the new. We're in it. We're mixed up in it. Our story is part of the restoration process. That's the story of the Bible. Whew, that's heavy, right? So we're in this, this kingdom of heaven is, is where we've been spending a lot of time. Matthew, over and over, tells us that this is his theme of his book, is the kingdom of heaven. In fact, uh, coming up to chapter 13, will you back up one screen and show this? Uh, this is how many times Matthew makes reference to the kingdom of heaven. Three, in Matthew 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 10, 11, and then in 13, all the stories have this common theme, kingdom of heaven. So, now we're getting a picture, and this is what's cool, is each picture that we get is another element of the kingdom of heaven. So you can almost see it overtaking as, we're, as the stories come together. So let's go back here. The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure. Now there's our first thing that we want to talk about. So the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure. Now in my mind, as soon as I think of, tre- I see this treasure hidden and it's found, I think of our pirates. How many, I mean, that's just me. I like immediately, in my mind, I go, yes, let's go on a pirate, let's go on a treasure hunt, right? And we got the parchment, and it's got the, 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 all the places we need to go around, and it's got the X that marks the spot, right? That's not what happens here. There is no map. Now, in context, so that you understand what's, what's happened, is that this society did not have banks. So there was no, hey, I got, I got $100, so I'm going to go to the bank and put it in the bank, and then I'm going to leave it there, and I'll come back and get it. That's, we understand that. They didn't have that. So what they would do is they would take treasures, valuables that they had, and hide them in the field so no one else could come and steal them easily. They would have a marking. In fact, they found parchments. Uh, as I was studying this out, they found parchments in, in uh, some of these homes that they've uh, been doing archaeological studies of lists of where things were hidden. So they, they had a, a list in the home of, hey, they're uh, uh, under the third bush on the left, take 10 steps to the right, and there's a treasure. Then they had, you know, of course, now, like, where's the third bush? Uh, <laughs> you know? But they had, they had these that they, uh, because this was, uh, and especially in Israel, Israel was a country that felt themselves as a, as a nation, but being ruled by Romans. So the Romans would come in, and what would people do? I don't want my stuff to be taken by the army, so I'll go hide it in the field. And what would happen if somebody would go on a trip? They would hide their stuff, go on the trip, and what if they couldn't come back? The treasure would stay there. So here's a man 
working in the field, doing some type of work in the field, and as he's digging in the field, he comes across a treasure. Yes! I mean, come on. And it says, I love this, because it says, he in the field, which a man found and covered up, and then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and buys it. I mean, you can imagine, he's, he's found it, and... <laughs> right? That's me. I'm, I'm, I'm doing the whole... You know, it's, this is like... I found treasure. So he goes and sells all that he has, whatever home he has, whatever car he has, or mule, or whatever he has, he sells it all to go and purchase this piece of land. Now, why does he do this? Because you would understand this, Tuscarawas County, Carroll County, we get this. Because you know, if you own land, you have mineral rights. Some of you bought your land without mineral rights, and so you're losing out on money. But those of you that have land with the mineral rights, you know those mineral rights are yours. And if somebody buys your land, guess what? The mineral rights goes with the land. That's the same case here. That, this, that whatever is in the land is owned by whoever owns the land. So the man goes and buys everything, sells everything he has, and is excited to get this land because then he gets the treasure. There's the first one. The second one, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls who, on finding one pearl of great value, went and sold all that he had and bought it. Here is the focus of this one, a merchant. Now, for most of us, we hear merchant, we think store owner. <laughs> That's not what that word means. This word is best translated for us as used car salesman. If you're a used car salesman in here, it's not you. It's the other ones that have given you a bad name. I know there's some, I feel the spirit of anger coming at me. It's not, <laughs> I'm, uh, but you know, there's a reputation that, oh, they're, they're just trying to get me. And so this merchant, though, is taking and buying low and selling high. That's, his, that's what he's doing. And so they weren't really a, like really looked upon with a lot of favor. In fact, there's, uh, in Roman, um, if you go back and look at the in antiquity writings, there's a lot of like snide comments about those that are merchants, about how they, they can't be trusted and how they go from this land to another land because they have to. Uh, there's, like, there's a lot of like little snide comments about merchants. So this isn't a very nice thing. So we're not talking about a person who has his life all together. But we have a person who, here who, remember, these stories are connected. They build upon each other. So the first one, the guy finds something he wasn't looking for and is excited and sells all he has. This guy knows what he's looking for. He feels like he, if he just had one more piece, if I just had enough pearls, then I could get it for myself. I would feel better about myself. I would be at that place. And so he is looking for fine pearls, but he finds one. And when he finds that one, there's something about the one that he finds that's worth selling everything to go get. So, let me, let me back up here before we go any further. The first one finds something that he wasn't looking for. For those of you in here, you know what it's like that first time that you ran into Jesus Christ. When you walked into his uh, relationship, uh, a moment where you were introduced with him, and you were like, I need that. I need Jesus Christ. That's what I've been missing. And when you began that relationship with Jesus, everything about your life changed. 
You were willing to sell it all. You were willing to give it all up. The second person is the person who know you, some of you, especially those of you on the dream team, know what it's like. You're like, if I, there's just something missing. I'm following Jesus, but I just, there's something I, I just need to do. And then that morning when you wake up and you do that one thing, and you get done doing it, and you felt that's what I was meant to do. I could care less about anything else. I don't need it. I don't care what else. This is what I was designed to do. I don't care how much I get paid to do this. I love doing this. I'll change everything to do that. Hmm. So the first one sold all that he had so that he could own the land. See, some of you, you're here, and you have a relationship with God that's based upon your parents. You haven't bought the land yet. You've been coming to church. You know the treasure. You know what it looks like, but you haven't purchased it. It hasn't become yours. It's still owned by somebody else. And today is going to be the opportunity for you to take a step and say, I'm buying it. I'm buying in. I'm willing to change my life. For some of you this morning, you're going, Yo, well, you know what? I've got a purpose. And I just haven't dug into it. And I know if I just did that, everything in my life would be right. Mm. And then the story of the net. The story of the net, he says it cast out the net and they brought all the fish in. Now, that net is a, a, a very specific word in Greek. It's not a net because I think of them casting out a net from the boat. This is a drag net. It looks like this. So you got your men on one side. They would anchor it on one side. They would take it out on a boat and put it all the way out. Some, some of the ones they found are 300 meters long, three football fields long. And bring it back in, and they're 25 feet in height. So they go out, they're pretty deep. And they go out, and then they would drag it in, and anything that was in the way of that net would be brought up onto the shore. And the men would collect it and go through it. Now, it says they divided them up, because not all fish that they get in the Sea of Galilee are kosher. Not all Jews can eat every fish that they get out of there. So they would have to take the ones, like eels and anything that had a, uh, didn't have fin, uh, scales or fins, they would throw back in, into the water. Those that were kept, they would separate them out and take them to market. Here's what's neat about this, this story, because it connects back to the one we talked about a couple week, weeks ago, week ago <laughs> where the wheats and the tares, and it says the angels did the separation. Again, this one, the net is brought in, and the net doesn't do the job of separating. The net just creates a place for them to be gathered together. I wonder what that might be. A place where people can gather together with no strings attached, no defined what you look like, no def- definition of who makes the cut and who doesn't. The net doesn't do it. When the, sh- when the fish get on the, onto the shore, the angels do the separating. It's not the net's responsibility. Again, step by step by step. See, we have a saying around here. We have the three, step, three things that we focus on. We want you to follow Jesus Christ. We want you to find freedom. And we want you to fulfill your purpose. See, when you fulfill your purpose, you're not doing it going, hey, I want those people that are making $100,000 or above to come in. No. We create an atmosphere for all to come in for all to be connected, to all to know Jesus Christ, and then we let him do the deciphering. That's good preaching, Josh. Keep it going, brother. Thanks. I appreciate that. Uh, So 
He says, fish of every kind. Then we go down to, do you understand this? Uh, the, uh, the angels separate him. Keep going. Do you understand all these things? Yes. They didn't need any more information, but Jesus offered them an opportunity to ask questions. I love this. Please, do not ever come to this church and hear a message and be like, well, I can't ask any questions. Please, ask questions. It's good. He says, do you, have a ch- do you understand all these things? Yes, we do. Then he added, every teacher of religious law who becomes a disciple in the kingdom of heaven is like a homeowner who brings from his storeroom new gems of truth as well as old. See, a teacher has knowledge, knows how to teach. A disciple does what he knows to be right. Follow Jesus Christ. Find freedom. Grow in your relationship with Jesus. Fulfill your purpose. Because when you fulfill your purpose, you're going to give a chance for everything to be gathered together. And then you need to not just know this, but do it. So what's being confronted here? Okay, I got a few seconds to confront what's happening here. Because this is where we got to go, what's, what am I being confronted with? And here is what's being confronted. And everybody, I almost put warning lights here. I almost put like a red siren on the screen. Ah, 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 the preacher's about to talk about money. Ah, ah, ah. What's being addressed here? Sold all that he had to buy. Sold all that they had to buy so that he could do. Sold all that he had so he could do. Let me give this really quick. I am not preaching this for an offering. We're not going to take up any special offering. I'm not saying this because we've got to keep the lights on next week. We are running this church with margin. We have an amazing group of trustees who have made sure that our church is running so that if you give nothing today, like if we get nothing to come in, like if we take the offering and not a single penny comes in, we will show up next week and have church. We don't need, I don't, okay, I don't need you to listen. You need to listen. I don't need your money. This church doesn't need your money, we will do the purpose of Jesus Christ with whatever comes in. And we're operating in such a healthy way that I don't need it. But I want to show you that if you'll jump in, what a difference that it's going to make. So what's being addressed? What's being confronted? Number one, the thing that's being confronted is this idea that, the, uh, that what we make will make us super happy. What will make me super, super happy? Now, I, I, I'll be honest, I added super because I needed the S, okay? So I was like, super happy, you know? It's like, but, okay, what, we, we have a mindset in, society, in our society that what, we, what I make makes me happy, and if I make more, I'll be happier. But that's not the way that the Scripture reads. In fact, Ecclesiastics, those who love money will never have enough. How absurd to think that wealth brings true happiness, See, I can give you the amount of money that you need to be happy. You ready? I'll give you the exact dollar amount. More than you're making now. That is exactly how much it is. Whatever you have now, you need more to be happy. And if once you get to that amount, you know what you're going to need? Whatever you don't have. You'll never be content with, with, with money. It's not meant to make you happy, but it has a purpose. 
The other thing that we have a, pro uh, a problem with is, that, so it's um, what makes us super happy. In the next uh, screen there, uh, what will make me secure? So we have an idea that money will make me secure. In fact, we have a saying, I want to be financially secure so that I can weather the storms, so that I don't have to be dependent on anything. I, I need money to be secure. That's not the way that script Proverbs, <laughs> Proverbs 11, uh, 27, trust in your money and down you go. But the godly flourish like leaves in the spring. Here's the third one. What will make me significant? See, we, ha we think that if I just get more, if I have a nicer car, if I have a nicer house, if I have a better job, a better position, then people will take me seriously and I'll be significant. Luke said this, or Jesus said this in Luke, beware, guard against every kind of greed. Life is not measured by how much you own. So what's being confronted here? And why did, the, why did the disciples say, we don't need you to go any further? Why don't we don't need any more description of what, what, what this means? We know what it means. They knew it because they had the Old Testament, their Bible. They had Malachi, where God had warned them how to handle money. Malachi chapter 3, verse 6, and I'm going to go very quickly over this. I'm not going to spend a lot of time. I'm going to give you biblical principles. This is how it begins. I, the Lord, do not change. Here, here's what you need to understand. The practice of the Old Testament changed. The principles did not. There are no more covenant sacrifices. There are no more uh, uh, temples. There are no, we don't, those things, those practices do not exist. The principles of those things carried over. Jesus teaches this all throughout. He says, I did not come to abolish the law. I came to fulfill the law. So he says, he says I, I, Lord, do not say Ever since the time of your ancestors, you have turned away from my decrees. You have not kept them. Return to me, and I will return to you, says the Lord Almighty. But you ask, how are we to return? Will a mere mortal rob God? Yet you rob me. But you ask, how are we robbing you? How does a human rob God? And he says, in the ties and offerings. Ties and offerings. There's two separate things here. The tithes are the first thing that comes out of the, their income. The tithe to, the, to the, uh, the Hebrew, the Jewish man would have been the first part of the tithe literally means 10%. That's literally what it means, 10%. He says that tithe and the offerings. So tithe, the offerings are above the tithe. He says, you're robbing me because you're not paying attention to the tithes or the offerings. And you are under a curse, your whole nation, because you are robbing me. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. Here is where we stop. And we reflect for just a minute because if we are to be the church that is partnering with God, that his kingdom of heaven is here, how do we do it? By being the church. We can only make the impact that we give of ourselves and of our finances. We can only grow and make an impact on kids' lives in the AC Kids area as long as there's people who are willing to invest of themselves and an hour and a half on a Sunday morning to invest in them. It's the only way it's going to happen. We're only going to make a difference at the, in the community events around this, uh, our community if we are willing to take out of our time and go and serve in those areas. It's the only way. And it's only going to happen that we take our next step as a church when we have it in the storehouse. So our next step as a church 
which roughly, if you do the math on the vision that we as a church and church leaders have talked about, is about $150 million. We can't do it until it's in the storehouse. See, they actually teach this at church things. I get, I get an email almost daily. Hey, how do you do a capital campaign at your church? Because what they'll say is, go buy it and then figure out how to church to back it up. That's not how we're going to operate. It's not how we operated. See, this is, I, I have waited to, to teach a message on this. I have never taught on tithing from this stage or any stage at Authentic Church, ever, till today. Why? Because I believe we have gotten to a place where I have earned your trust and the leadership of this church has earned your trust. That we are in a building that God has blessed us with, that we have way more than what we, and value than what we have to pay on it. But we need to do more. Because there's still one more person that needs reached. There's still one more seat that needs, see, it's, it's important. It's an emergency, okay? <laughs> That's just God trying to speak. this is where that has to be in the storehouse. We are never going to come to you and say, hey, we did this, now we need you to pay for it. No, we are only going to do what we have in the storehouse. So so how do we do do that? By the tithes and the offerings. So he says, now here's what's cool. God says to the, the children of Israel, test me on this. Test me on this. Now, there are two testimonies to tithing. There's only two testimonies. One is that this, this is the testimony that I grew up hearing over and over again in my home. When my parents worked two jobs to make things make, make it work. And then inevitably, every so often, my mom would say something like, I'm not sure how this worked, but we got enough to pay the bills. See, that's the tithing testimony is that I don't know how it works, but it it worked. The other testimony is, I don't have enough to tithe. And the truth is, you never will have enough to tithe until you tithe. Again, I don't need you to buy into this. I don't need you to listen. I'm just telling you, this is the biblical truth. You can take this message, crumble it up, and put it in the trash as you go. This isn't salvational. This is principle. So, test me on it. So, I'm going to join God in his test. I've said this from the day one. If you tithe to Authentic Church, and you say, I'm going to, I'm going to make this commitment, I'm going to step forward, I'm going to tithe, and if you, can't, if you say, a year from now, you go, hey, I tithe, and I can't have the testimony of that it, it works, and I don't have these stories that, that God fulfilled his, his end, of the, uh, end of the deal, we will give you your tithe completely back. Because we're not operating that we need your tithe. We're operating that you can move forward in it. The pastor and the teachers of this church are going to come alongside you and equip you to do what God's called you to do. Okay, so test me on this. Says the Lord Almighty, and I will, set, uh, I will see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be en- enough room to store it. I will prevent pests from devouring your crops, and the vines of your fields will not drop their fruit before it is ripe, says the Lord Almighty. Here's the key. It's not about getting your storehouse full. Then all the nations will call you blessed, and your na- yours will be a delightful land, says the Lord Almighty. You will be a blessing to others because God has blessed you. 
Okay, three principles in this thing. Number one, if you're going to take these steps, the first thing you have to do is set it aside. Set aside the first. What's your priority? The, the, uh, the Jews that were hearing the story, the disciples that were listening, would have known De- Deuteronomy 4, 14.22. says, be sure to set aside a tenth of all that your fields produce each year so that you may learn to revere the Lord your God always. See, when you tithe, you are communicating to God. You trust him. Romans eleven sixteen. If the dough offered as fr- first fruits is holy, so the whole lump is, so, so is the whole lump. And if the root is holy, so are the branches. So when you begin with making the first holy, everything else is holy. 1 Corinthians 16, 2. On the first day, this is Paul teaching the church how to give. On the first day of each week, you should, uh, should each put aside a portion of your money you have earned. Don't wait until I get there and then try to collect it all at once. Again, he's teaching the same principle. Set aside from your portion. Not, hey, we're not all, get, I'm not, there is no time that you, in scripture where it says everybody give $100 or everybody give this certain amount of money. It is always based upon what God has already given you. That's it. We're never going to say, give this amount. That's not what he teaches. Then he says that so that you don't, when I get there, you're not going, oh no, we need to do this. Oh no, we want to make a difference in our community. Oh no, we want to we want to start a jail campus. Oh no, we want to start a transformation. We don't, but we don't have the money. Let's go see if we can get something worked up. No, it's already in the storehouse, so that we can go do it. That's what how the the church is supposed to operate. So you set aside the first, you steward the rest, and this is I, I hope you understand. We do a budget every year, and we automatically take ten percent and pretend like it doesn't exist. Why do we do that? So that we have margin. So that we have margin. So we do a budget based not upon what came in and what we're hoping will come in, but based on less than what came in before. This is, this is, uh, this is something you might want to install in your home. It's, it's called a budget. It's kind of a cuss word, and I know it, it, it really stinks. But, but the, the, the Proverbs 21.5, the plans of the diligent lead to profit as surely as haste leads to poverty. See, if you don't have a budget, you'll spend in haste, you, meaning you'll spend on not thinking about it. And then when you need it, you don't have it. That's, okay, I'll keep going. Ephesians 2, 3, 3, 2, for for this reason, oh man, this is where Paul gets so powerful in this. Again, this net story. For this reason, I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ uh, Jesus, on behalf of of you Gentiles, assuming that you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you. So he's been handed a stewardship. He says it in uh, Colossians, uh, he says the same thing. In 1 Corinthians, he says it this way. For if I preach the gospel that gives me no ground for boasting, for uh, for necessity is laid upon me. Woe to me if I do not preach the gospel. For if I do this on my own will, I'll have a reward. But if if not of my own will, I am still entrusted with a stewardship. What then is my reward? What is my reward? That in my preaching, I may present the gospel free of charge so as not to make full use of my right in the gospel. He says, I've got a responsibility and I'm going to use it and I'm going to steward it correctly. God has placed gifts, talents in your hands. He's put treasures in your bank for you to steward correctly. Then the last one is this, that you need to serve richly. Serve richly. 
Serve in such a way that you're not waiting to see, uh, oh, if so-and-so comes, then, I'll, then that's, I want to market to that certain type, or I want to give to this. And, I mean, I, I love Chris's testimony. Because Chris, Chris was open and candid with what he's, his life has been. And I appreciate his transparency. Because, see, in, in him, he says, I, I dealt with some social issues. I had some situations in my life come up that weren't pretty. And, but yet, authentic church was there for me. And through the small groups and connect groups that I was in, I, I was able to grow, and I'm still growing. See, if we don't cast our net for everyone, there's going to be people that are on a list of something somebody's designated or defined that won't be welcomed. But we cast our net in such a way that we bring in every fish. Every. We don't define who's welcomed. We gather with everything. Every kind of fish. Every type of person. We create space. Luke says this. Jesus says through in Luke says, here's the lesson. Use your worldly resources to benefit others and make friends. Why? Then when your possessions are gone, when you die, they will welcome you to an eternal home. See, your money can't make you super happy. Your money won't make you secure. Your money, what was the third one? Significant. Thank you. Money won't make you significant. But your money can be used to introduce someone to their Savior. That's what we're created to do. Lord Jesus, thank you for this amazing church, many of who I'm preaching to the choir with. Lord, I pray anointing upon them and that you continue to bless them and continue to use them to be generous and be used to create an impact in our, in our, in our community, in our nation, and in our world. Lord, I thank you and I give you all the glory. Lord, I rejoice that you have given me boldness this morning to speak this word, a word I didn't want to speak, but Lord, I know that I can confidently speak in your power, in your authority, in your name. Lord, I ask that you bless us and allow us to continue to move forward. In Jesus' name.